0: G'day and welcome to We're Only Here Once. I'm James Wiley and these are my stories. In Chapter 1 of 1993, we're going to Paris. I hope you enjoy the ride. I recognised the knife from when we were kids building hideouts in the park. It was a simple pen knife, the type a dad might give his 12-year-old son. Sharp enough to whittle a twig, but not sharp enough to chop a finger off. This knife had seen better days. Its blade was rusty and what had once been the sharper edge had nasty little divots. These details I knew because its ugly tip was hovering just a train's jolt away from my left eyeball. I'd noticed the Africans huddled in the warmest corner of the carriage, about ten of them sharing some kind of alcohol and sullen conversation, their eyes glazed across the mostly empty seats. Over the last few years, I'd spent months travelling alone in East and North Africa, sharing hundreds of minibus rides with guys just like these. While they sure looked mean, I wasn't going to be the racist. They were poor and outcast, and I owed them my empathy, not my fear. When one of them meandered down the aisle to the other end of the carriage, his coat brushed my shoulder as the train lurched. A stench of dirt, sweat, urine, alcohol and marijuana lingered in his wake. On his way back, he reached behind my shoulder, grabbed the right side of my face, and pulled my other cheek hard against his hip. With my head trapped in this vice, his free hand swung the point of the penknife towards my left eye. "'Give me your money,' he slurred in French. Beyond the blade, his fingernails were filthy, and his smell filled my head. "'I don't speak French,' I mumbled, stupidly, in my schoolboy French. The knife was too close to bring into focus, but it was clear it would make a mess of my eye. Trumping rational thought, my subconscious swung into inaction. Every muscle in my body went limp. His stinking, mittened hand began to cradle my chin as I slumped gently to the right. But the point of the penknife stayed wedded to my eye, gently swaying with each bump in the tracks. Through my mental haze, from somewhere behind me, I heard someone shouting, As the African twisted toward the voice, the train burst from the dark tunnel into the surgical lights of a station. Blurred people shapes flew by the windows as we slowed. The African let go of my cheek and began to shuffle unsteadily back to his seat. The voice behind me yelled again, jump off here with us, and my brain and body re-engaged. I grabbed my bag, lurched to the carriage exit behind me, and escaped onto the platform. Jimmy, whose voice had come to my rescue, and his fiancée, Carol, introduced themselves and checked I was okay. They'd have liked to help me more, but they were already late to their own engagement party. I'll be fine, I promised them. It won't be long till the next train. So they gave me their phone number and told me to call in a couple of days. But when they'd gone, the lonely silence overwhelmed me. A couple more Africans emerged from a passage down the platform, and, to my shame... I lost my nerve. Finding my way up to the street wasn't easy. The underground walkways had few signs that made sense to me, and each airless, fetid corner was populated by still more impoverished Africans. My composure frayed further. When I finally reached the empty street, I found I'd arrived at the least populated exit. The dim streetlights barely took the edge off the dark, and soft rain was falling no taxis, waited to whisk me to safety. I moved a few doors down from the station and feebly resolved to ask the first non-dangerous passers-by for help. So, New Year's Eve in Paris, eh? What a great idea. After six years living and travelling in Europe, how could I go home to Sydney as I was planning to do this year without visiting the home of the Enlightenment, the Revolution, the legendary writers and artists? And the home, no less, of young Alice and Marianne, the first people to pass my shivering figure as they headed to the station. Excuse me, I said, in my terrible French, is there a taxi stand close by? I'm not sure, said Alice, but where do you want to go? The Latin Quarter, I said, but I wasn't even sure of that. Typically for those freewheeling days, I thought I'd just fly into Paris on New Year's Eve and, with the rough guide I'd bought the day before, find a place to stay in the Latin Quarter for next to nothing. Ah, the idealism and chaos of youth. When I explained my plan, the girls led the way to a phone booth round the corner. Realising my French might not be up to the job, they waited patiently outside, but after watching my inept, unsuccessful phone calls to a couple of the recommended hotels, they took over. Soon they'd found me a top-floor room not far from the Latin Quarter for only a few more francs than I was hoping to spend. Then came the proposal they'd been working on for the last few minutes. Why didn't I go out with them for New Year's Eve? Have I ever known a more dramatic change in fortune? So we walked to the nearest main street and hailed a taxi to the hotel. What the hotel manager must have thought as I checked in and went to my room with two young, attractive Parisiennes was completely mistaken. Let me disappoint you now, this is not the way this story goes. And shame on you for thinking it. The girls had been intending to spend New Year's Eve together in the centre of town. Taking me along for the ride gave them some insurance against being harassed by other males. And somehow they perceived that I had the brains to know my place. And that's the way it went. We walked the streets of central Paris, hand in hand, arm in arm, all night, across the bridges, along the river, through the parks... Through every street of the Latin Quarter, the Pont Neuf, the Île de la Cité, the Île de Saint-Louis, the Champs-Élysées to the Arc de Triomphe, and back. We stopped at cafes for an occasional glass of beer or wine, a crepe or a coffee to keep us warm and awake. At midnight there were some fireworks, real, not metaphoric. Paris, the city of love, sigh. I drew admiring and bemused, mostly bemused, looks from men and women, young and old, every step of the way. How have you got two, jealous men would call. Hilarious. When eventually we were too tired and too cold to walk and talk anymore, I rode the bus home with them to the Bois de Vincennes. By the time I got back to my hotel, alone and frozen to the core, it was nearly dawn. But by noon, I was up and walking like a loony past the Pantheon, the Notre Dame, up the Champs-Élysées again to the Arc de Triomphe and to the Eiffel Tower. I visited the Louvre, which I decided was boring, apart from Rodin's thinker, and the hordes of tourists grimly elbowing each other to take a photo of the monumentally underwhelming Mona Lisa. That night, I found a great Indian restaurant with great Indian music. The next day, it was sunny and cold, and I marched across the river again through Montmartre to Sacré-Cœur and back. Then Alice, Marianne and I met at the Père Lachaise Cemetery to visit Jim Morrison's grave. For those that don't know, Jim was the charismatic lead singer of The Doors, the best of Los Angeles psychedelic bands from the late 60s. In the early 70s, Jim had moved to Paris and died there mysteriously at 27. Numerous signs graffitied on other people's graves made Jim's quite easy to find among the half million or so dead residents of the suburb-sized graveyard. Screeds of poetry, joints and half-bottles of spirits were left as odd offerings to Jim, the latter two being some of the reasons why Paris is his forever home. Melinda and Karen, two sisters from Sydney, arrived from Holland to spend a few days in Paris. We'd met in the hot, dry desert of southern Morocco the year before. This time we freeze. We shiver up the Eiffel Tower and through the brilliant modern art at the Pompidou Centre. Jimmy and Carol, my saviours during the knife-in-the-eye incident, invite me to a magical dinner at her parents' place. Her dad's a pretty famous artist, and the conversation is fantastic. On the way home, floating on great food, whiskey and wine, I take photos of street fountains turned to ice. Like a centurion, I trek repeatedly up and down the medieval, brick-paved Rue Mouftar from my hotel to town and back. I find the best patisseries in the world. I find bulletin shell holes from past wars in the old buildings around the Champs-de-Mars. Apart from the Van Goghs, the Musée d'Orsay seems dull. I come down with a terrible cold and a split in my lip so bad I can barely talk, let alone smile. 1993 was less than 10 days old. In the next chapter of 1993, The journey continues in sunny Barbados. If you'd like to see some photos that accompany this story, you can find them at jameswiley.com and there's a link in the show notes. The music you've been listening to is written by me and played by my band, The Nomads. Thanks for dropping in. See ya!